we're going to talk about how to yield to God. Because people are failing to lay hold of things because they don't know how to yield to the Lord. So let's jump in the Bible. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 5. And I, I just really believe that some answers are going to come for some people. Uh, some adjustments. Usually it's never a big adjustment. It's just a little adjustment. And here's usually a, the adjustment. The Holy Spirit brings revelation and some light comes and you're like, oh. Right? For a lot of people, they realize, oh my gosh. I've been trying to get something that I already have. Right? Or, oh my gosh, I've been, my whole walk with God has been based on me, not on him. Right? So anyway, let's go. Second, Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to talk about Naaman. And we're going to break down these first 19 verses of this story. So Naaman was healed of leprosy. Okay? So let's look at this. It says in verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria. So when we read this, he was captain of the hosts of Syria. So that's not like a, a captain in our military. That's a, that's a good, high-level officer. But this would be the equivalent of like the highest general in the whole military of Syria. He was captain of the hosts of Syria. He was a great man with his master. Who was his master? The king of Syria. He was honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. So he was a, the Bible says he was a great man. He was honorable. Wow. He was also a mighty man in valor, which means you would not want to meet him on a battlefield. Right? And then it says here, not only was he a mighty man of valor, but he also was a leper. Okay? So think about that. In all that he was and in all that he was doing, he always had this physical condition that would, that would try to mess with every area of his life. Leprosy, that was not something that just would automatically get better. That was something that would get worse until you died. It was incurable. Okay? Verse 2, And the Syrians had, got, had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. So they conquered some people and they brought this young maid into, actually into Naaman's house. And now he, she waited. She was, she was a servant in the household of Naaman for Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, so she, the servant, said unto Naaman's wife, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet. So would God, my Lord, my Lord, would, you could read it like this, would God, Naaman, right? He's talking about Naaman here. Would God, look at this, my Lord, who is Naaman, were with the prophet. 
In other words, I wish Naaman could go be with this prophet that I know of. Okay? That is in Samaria. Who's that talking about? This is talking about the prophet Elisha. For he, the prophet Elisha, would recover him, Naaman, of his leprosy. The word recover means he would remove and take away from Naaman his leprosy. This little maid is going to Naaman's wife going, gosh, you know, there's a prophet in Israel, Elisha. This guy, God has used him mightily. Man, I just, I just wish Naaman could be with him because this prophet would take away Naaman's leprosy. It would remove it from him. Think about that. And then it says, and one went in, verse 4, and told his Lord. Who's he talking about now? The king of Syria. And one went in. So obviously there was a conversation. And then from that conversation, we don't know if it was Naaman's wife. We don't know if somebody else overheard it. But somebody went to the king of Syria. Okay? Keep this in mind. Saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. So basically, somebody went into the king of Syria and said, listen, there is a prophet in Israel that could literally remove this leprosy from Laman, or from Naaman. Okay? The reason why I'm saying all these names, sometimes when you read the Old Testament, it's, it's, you've got to really focus on, okay, who's talking, what are they talking, right? This story is going to become very simple to you by the end of it. So it says here, one went in, said this to the king, told the story, verse 5, and the king of Syria said this, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. Okay? So now this king is going, okay. Listen, that sounds really good. I love Naaman. He's been such a good man. Man, if we could help him, that'll be awesome. I'm going to send a letter, not to the prophet. No, 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 no. This is the king of Syria. I'm going to send a pro I'm going right to the decision maker. I'm sending a letter to the king of Israel who's afraid of me. Right? If you read the story, the king of Israel felt like he had no power over this great military of Syria. So he goes, I'm just going to send a letter to him. So keep, keep this in mind. And he departed, right? Look at this. And took with him 10 talents of silver. Wow. 10 talents of silver. 750 pounds of silver. So I'm going to send a letter to the king of Israel. And then I'm going to send, I'm going to send this company. I'm going to send Naaman. We're going to see later that the letter wasn't, hey, king of Israel, do you think you could maybe get Elisha to help Naaman? No, no, he wasn't asking. Because this letter, check this out. And I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed. Who's he? Naaman. He sent the letter and he sent Naaman right away. It wasn't, op it wasn't like, will you please help Naaman? No, 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 no. I'm sending Naaman, and, and because I'm a nice guy, I'm also loading these donkeys up 
was 750 pounds of silver. So in today's dollars, that's about 300, what, I think I wrote it down here, $356 a pound, and I'm sending 750 pounds. I'm also sending 6,000 pieces of gold. So that's 150 pounds of gold. So to, in today's dollars right now, gold would be $29,644 a pound. Okay? And I'm also, by the way, just because I'm a nice guy, I'm going to send 10 changes of raiment. 10, 10 changes of clothes. I bet they were pretty nice. Right? So in today's dollars, that would be about 7 or about $4.7 million. So hey, I'm sending this guy who I love to you, king of Israel. Now I'm, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to send $4.7 million worth of stuff just, just for doing what I'm basically telling you to do. Right? So this is verse 5. Verse 6 and he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, now, when, now look at this. Now when this letter is come unto you, so think about this. Somebody comes and says, here's a letter from the king of Syria. And oh, by the way, when this letter is come unto you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant to you, that you, king of Israel, may recover, may remove or take away his leprosy. That's kind of some pressure. Hey, king, you know, I heard there's a prophet. Forget the prophet. I'm going directly to the king of Israel. And oh, by the way, I'm sending you this. Naaman is on his way, and I want you to remove and take away his leprosy. Right? So the king of Israel is going, okay, read the Old Testament about some of these prophets. They just didn't do what you tell them to do. So the king of Israel is a little stressed because he's like, okay, I obviously can't take those leprosy away. Man, Elisha, we've seen miracles with him, but, you know, he's kind of a feisty guy, right? So look at, look at what happened. So this letter was from the king of Syria. He was telling the king of Israel, this is what I'm expecting to be done. Verse 7, look at how this king of Israel, this is a king of Israel who has the God Jehovah protecting him. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes. Right? Now, that, there's a big meaning in this in that culture. He rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. He's going, wait a minute. This king of Syria is setting me up. He's freaked out. He's in fear. The rent of a clothes, for the king to rent his clothes, 
This is what that meant. He was in fear and he was cowering and he was completely surrendering. He is saying, guys, what are we going to do? We are powerless to stand against this king. The king of Israel is thinking that this was a trick to give Syria a, a legal reason to come in and conquer Israel. Verse 8, now check out what happens when Elisha hears what the king of Israel did. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, the king of Israel, saying, why have you rent your clothes? In other words, he's going, what in the world are you doing? Jehovah is our God. We don't cower to anyone. Why in the world are you renting his clothes? Whatever, send him to me, and I'll make sure he knows there's a prophet in Israel. In other words, Elisha's saying, King, you're wimping out. Send him over to me so that he can know. You might be moved by this. I'm not moved by this at all because God is greater. Okay, so do you kind of see the attitude here? In other words, Elisha is utterly disgusted at the king's actions. Verse 9. So now after all this happens, here he comes. Right, word gets to Naaman. Okay, hey, listen, go to this prophet's place, go to his house. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. So could you imagine this? This is like the top military leader of Syria. There wasn't like two horses, guys. There's a whole entourage here. And with his chariot, could you imagine how his chariot was decorated? Right? Could you imagine? And, and notice, it didn't say, I mean, he came, he came to Elisha's house. But everywhere he goes, people do whatever he says. So he doesn't get off his chariot and go knock on the door. He just comes up, okay. In other words, get your butt out here and, and do what, you're, what you need to do. Like, in other words, like, I'm the man. Do you see the self-centeredness of this? We kind of see this self-centeredness today in the church. You better heal me. You better, you know, or, or, or I'm just going to get mad at you. I'm going to blame it on you. we got to be careful. See the attitudes in this story. So it says here, and Elisha, you can imagine, Elisha's looking out the window. Here's this guy. He doesn't even go out. He sends his servant, or he sent a messenger unto him, unto Naaman, saying, go Wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Here's the number one reason why people don't yield. Is you can't yield until you are instructed on how to yield. So another reason why you're not going to hear a lot of internet stories and leadership quotes in sermons here. 
You're going to hear a lot of it is written because you need instruction so that you know how to yield, right? He gives them explicit instruction. Now, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. All right, I've been in the Jordan River, right? The first time I went to Israel, it was awesome. Now, we were at the part of the Jordan where the Catholic Church has made a deal where you can kind of go in and they have things underneath the water where you could walk on, and it's the shallower part of the Jordan, um, but it's not like the Pacific Ocean. You can't, if you put your hand just underneath the water, you can't see it. It's not really any place I'd want to get baptized in, to be real honest with you. Just in case, because if that stuff goes up your nose, yeah, right? So it was funny, I was there with a whole bunch of Lutheran ministers, and so the guy leading our tours, a Lutheran minister, a friend of mine, and he's like, he goes, okay, we're going to baptize, but he goes, we're all Lutherans, so we sprinkle babies. Okay, so he goes, what do, you, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I go, here's the big thing. I said, the big thing is tell them to grab their nose, and then grab their arm, and then you do the rest. And then I always just, you could either baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or baptize in the name of Jesus. Wars are fought on this. I don't think God really cares, you know. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus. You could, you've kind of just said the same thing. So he goes, okay, that sounds cool. And, uh, and he goes, that's what we'll do then. And he goes, would you help us? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So you had to, now this is, I'll tell him myself. So you walked in this locker room and you had to put on like this robe thing that was like a one-piece thing. It was like a big undershirt, but it would go all the way down to below your knee. And Jewish people are a little smaller than me. So man, I get this thing on and I'm like, wow. And so then I get it wet, we baptize people, and I'm like, I can hardly breathe, right? So then you have to take it off so that they could wash it and use it again. So I look at John, I'm like, I'm not even going to try to take this thing off. He goes, what are you going to do? I just, I ripped it in half. I'm like, there we go. Jordan River. See, the first step here, did you know, now what are you guys laughing at? So, so get this picture. Elisha instructs him, instructs him about exactly what he's to do to be healed of leprosy. Exactly what he's to do. It sounds a lot like what things soever you desire when you pray. Listen, this is what you do. You believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Right? So, I mean, just exact on what to do. But already in step number one, you know, step number one's not fun. Go to the Jordan, dip underneath the water seven times, and your flesh shall come again to thee. So, so now he has the instruction. So what's, what's the only thing that's left to do? To yield to that, right? So here's the deal. You could imagine, I'm the greatest general in Syria, and this little prophet guy is not even willing to come out here and talk to me. And I have leprosy. This is an incurable disease that will kill me. 
and by the way, I have about $4.7 million worth of stuff just as a token. And, and now you, you won't even come out here and this little messenger guy, who is he? And, and I got to just go dip seven times and then I'll be healed. Right? He's kind of upset. Why? Don't you know who I am? I, 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 I. There's one thing you see in healing and there's one thing about receiving from God. You got to get over the eye. Right? It says, verse 11, but Naaman was wroth. Right? That doesn't mean he was an IRA or whatever. What is it? A Roth IRA? Right? <laughs> nope. It means he was angry. It means this Hebrew word gives us a picture. He burst out in rage. He was ticked. And he went away and said, behold. It's another big truth here. So he just gets flat out angry. And I know nobody here has ever done that. But I mean, that's what he did. And then he went away and he goes, behold. I thought... Now, what does Naaman know about being healed of leprosy? Absolutely nothing. Just like a lot of people will tell you all about God who know absolutely nothing about God. He goes, but I thought he will surely come out to me and he'll stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over me, or over the place, and recover the leper. See, Naaman knew exactly the way it was supposed to work, even though he didn't know anything about it. That's called pride. Now, we can't get down on him, because he's not born again, he's not spirit-filled, like us. He was told exactly what to do, but it wasn't what he thought it should be in his mind. And that kept him from yielding. And it kept him from receiving. In the same way a Christian is like, okay, I've done this and this condition's getting worse. And it wasn't supposed to be like this. What was supposed to happen is like these stories I hear about the tumor disappearing, the leg growing out, right? That you play in your mind the way it should work out. You don't realize it, but where did that come from? That comes from the enemy. He's throwing thoughts. Faith is of the heart. The how is God's deal. It's not our deal. Does that make sense? What are we talking about? We're, re we're talking about how to yield to the Lord, how to receive your healing. These are principles that are huge. Naaman is angry because it didn't happen the way he thought it should. Even though Naaman really had no information of how it should happen. Many have failed to receive from God because it didn't come the way they, shot, they thought it should. Don't get into that. Let God be God. God does not have to and will never bow to who we think we are 
or who we think he is. He's God. We got to stay out of the how. Faith is the vehicle whereby you receive from God. That is the vehicle. Right? How it comes, God is never obligated to do things our way. Now, guys, this is huge because we don't realize many times how self-centered we really are. And, and that's why we got to clear all the junk, get our eyes off ourselves, get our eyes off the situation, get our eyes on Jesus and, and listen to that great sermon on faith that Mary preached at the wedding, wedding of Cana in Galilee. She simply looked at the servants and said, listen, whatever my son tells you to do, just do it. That's so simple, but that's, that's so key. We have the privilege of doing things God's way, but God is not obligated to do things our way. Does that make sense? So now let's look at verse 12. So now Naaman is starting to break this down. He's ticked, he's enraged, and now he says, are not Albana and Farpar rivers of Damascus? What's Damascus? The capital city of Syria. Aren't those better than all the waters of Israel? So he's going, why do I have to, why did I have to come all the way here to go dip in a mud puddle when I've got right over by where I'm at, I've got great places to get baptized, to, to dip in. In other words, in my mind, this thing should be working out different. May I not wash in them and be clean? So, I mean, it even made him matter. Notice, the more he talked, the more, the matter he got. In other words, we know that's Proverbs 18, 20, and 21. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. That word, that word uh, power means the direction of your tongue, and it means to hand. Your tongue is your steering wheel. It will drive your life in different directions, and it will hand you things. It'll hand you life, or it'll hand you death. So if you start going over in your mind, well, this is the way it should be, you will start getting mad frustrated you know and all this stuff we got to learn from this Naaman why was he mad he was mad because of what he was thinking why did it increase because he was giving he was taking those thoughts he was speaking them right can't believe this guy didn't come out to see me I mean he's probably thinking don't you know I could come through your door right now and cut you in 50 pieces if I want to, right? All I got to do is just say, do it, and it's done. You're dead. You're gone. I mean, you could imagine what he was thinking. Christians laying on their bed at night, why did this happen to me? While seeing other people seem to just, everything's okay in their life, and you got to be careful with this stuff, Right? He is mad because of the image that he has in his mind of himself, okay, of his circumstances, 
and of God. Why do we get mad? Why do we get frustrated? Same reason. Naaman put stock into, or I'm sorry, Naaman put no stock into what Elisha said. Why? Because he thought it should go a different way. In the same way, Christians don't put any stock in what God says because they think it should go a different way. They think, no, this is the way it should happen, and it didn't happen, and that faith stuff doesn't work. Am I, are we, can we talk? Can we talk? Because that, that's where people are at. Verse 13, and his servants, talking about Naaman's servants, came near. Now think about this. His servants must really love him. Because you got this most powerful military leader in the country of Syria, and he is enraged right now. But this servant, I'm telling you, this servant loved him so much that he's going, I'm willing, I'm willing to die. Because Naaman could have pulled a sword and just shut up. Bam, right? So he kind of put his life on the line. But he said, his servant came near and spoke unto Naaman and said, my father. Boy, do you see some of the way that they are talking about Naaman, my master, my father? Naaman must have been a, a phenomenal guy. In other words, my father, I love you, right? And I know you love me. He said, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing in the Hebrew language, it would read some important thing. Wouldn't you not have done it? How much rather than when he said to you, wash and be clean? The servant's like, listen, if he would have told you to do this massively important thing, you would have done it. So why not just, just listen to him and just go wash and be cleansed of leprosy? Well, for some reason... That totally made sense to Naaman. That got through to him. Verse 14. Then went he, Naaman, went down, dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. What I want you to notice is Naaman was... Now, it was God's will that he be healed. But he was unable to receive it until he yielded to what the man of God said, New Testament, he was unable to receive it until he yielded to what the word of God said for us. Do you see that? Nothing happened until he yielded. Naaman's willingness to yield to what the man of God said, or present tense New Testament believer, our ability to yield to what God's word says to us brought his healing and brings our everything. Does that make sense? Verse 15, and he, Naaman, talking about Naaman, 
return to the man of God. He was, so now, could you imagine how happy Naaman was? He left there enraged. He comes up. I mean, could you imagine? I don't have leprosy, but if I went and dipped in the Atlantic Ocean, probably similar to the Jordan, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but if I went and dipped seven times and came out with like baby skin, remember how much you guys love me. So, I mean, could you imagine? I come to church, you guys would be like, whoa, pastor, how old are you? I'd be like 25. Right? He was excited. So now he's going back. Could you imagine how grateful he was? Oh my gosh, you know, I was kind of rude to that messenger. I was rude to everybody. I was throwing a fit. And now look at this. Notice that all of Naaman's wrong behavior, notice it never changed. God wasn't in heaven going, you know what? Forget this guy. He's enraged and he's doing this and doing that. He's dissing on everybody. You know, I'm pulling that blessing. You know, God can't do that because God never changes. If he said he gave you something, it's yours. If he said he'll remember your sin no more, guess what? He'll remember it no more, right? If he says his mercy is new to you every morning, guess what? His mercy is new to you every morning. It's not based on your behavior. Notice Naaman's behavior was not the issue. When he yielded and got himself right, his answer was right there. In the same way, if you and I will yield to the word of God, our answer is right there. This is a Bible truth. So he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Amen. Notice he knew something now. Now therefore I pray thee. Boy, his attitude's a little different. I pray thee, please, Please take this blessing of thy servant. Take it. Take the 4.7 million. Take the 900 pounds of silver and gold. Right? But look at Elisha, the man of God. This is, this is, this is the way it should be. I hate to say it, but there's a lot of ministers that are out there saying certain things. For gain. But look at, look at what Elisha said to him. But he said, Elisha said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. I won't take any of it. And he, talking about Naaman, urged him to take it, but Elisha refused. Verse 17 and Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. Naaman's like, I am never going to offer sacrifice or burnt offerings to any other god but, you, but your god. But then he says, I pray thee, this is really messed up some theologians. 
I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth. Two mules, burden of earth. Here's the two theological meanings of this. It could mean Naaman said to him, hey, can I give you the $4.7 million of all this stuff worth of silver and gold which came from the earth as an offering for God healing me? Could I please give this to you? Silver and gold, it came from the earth. Can I give this to you? The other one is, can I... Now, I really believe it's the first one. The other one's kind of funny. Elijah, please, can I take with me enough dirt that two mules can carry so I can go back to Syria and build an altar so that I... Are you kidding me? But, but educated people really think that could be possible. So in my opinion, I think it's probably the first one. But the point I want you to see, forget about the, the two mules burden of earth, right? What you need to see is Naaman is going, listen, I'm going to serve your God. Or I, I'm sorry, he didn't say your God. He said, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to offer burnt offerings. I'm turning from everything else. I think I love that. In other words, he's saying, I'm never going to offer sacrifices to another God. Verse 18, look at this. Then now Naaman's backing up again, and he's going, I got to clear one more thing up, though. I'm, I'm never going to do sacrifices to another God, but he has this thing in his life that he has to deal with. There's this God called Rimon, right? Rimon. There's this God, and when, when my king, the king of Syria, goes in there to worship this God, when he pushes on my hand, I have to bow in this temple. So he's saying, I mean, and, and if you study Rimon and all this stuff, if he didn't bow, he would be killed. So, so he's like, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ever serve another God. However, in my duties... I have to do this or I'm dead. So please, will you pardon me of this? Because I got to do this outward action. But listen, when I'm, when I'm bowing down, I'm not bowing in my heart. I'm just bowing outwardly just to, so I can keep on living. Is it okay? He's literally saying, will you pardon me of this? Okay, that's all he's saying. In this thing, the Lord pardoned thy servant talking about Naaman, that when my master, the king of Syria, goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he, the king of Syria, leans on my hand, I, Naaman, bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself, down myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon thy servant. Wow, he went from I'm the man to now I'm a servant of your Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. Will he please pardon my servant in this thing? So Naaman is asking Elisha to pardon him in this. Right? 2 Kings 2 verse, or 5 verse 19. And he, Elisha, said to him, go in peace. In other words, yeah. Go in peace. You're pardoned. You're pardoned. I think that's cool, right? 
Now, this is my opinion, but knowing the wording here in the Hebrew language, I think if Elijah said, no, you can't bow, then I think Naaman would have said, okay, I'm serving the Lord. You know, being the beginning of the story is a man of honor. He was, you know, all this stuff. But God looks at the heart. I love that. Guys, God sees your heart. He knows right where every one of us is. He knows when we're struggling, when things happen in our life and we don't understand it. And all. He knows. Jesus actually feels it. God's always looking at your heart. I love that. So this whole story is about, about this fact. Until Naaman yielded to what God said, he received nothing. Right? Naaman's willingness to yield literally enabled him to receive what God wanted him to have. Yield. This is a huge thing, guys, to yield. What does it mean to yield to God? Those of us who are a little older in the charismatic movement, we remember those meetings, man. Four to six people be around somebody trying to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Three of them are saying, let go, brother. Three of them are saying, hold on, brother. I have no idea what to do, right? Sometimes people just escape by saying, I rode a Honda or something. You know, I rode a Honda, I rode a Honda, right? Or whatever. No, no, you, you've been there. What, what does it mean to yield to God? This is a huge question that nobody ever asks. Why? Well, because I don't want everybody to think I don't know. Right? Well, but this is life and death. You will only, so let me talk about yielding a little bit. You will only yield to that which you have been instructed in. You can't yield in what you haven't been instructed in because you wouldn't know how to. And the Bible will tell you exactly how to yield. Name, or So let's keep going with this. Naaman had his own idea of what it looked like to be healed of leprosy, but Naaman in reality had no idea. Sometimes if you're believing God for something, you know, if, if it's gone a little while, you start really seeing yourself with this condition right? Yielding to God, here's another big thing, always comes down to one thing. Yielding to God comes, always comes down, it funnels right down to one thing, you submitting your will to what the Bible says, to what God's word says. It always comes down to that. You could play church. You could run around like me. I would never say no to God. What I would do is go, la, 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 not really hearing that, or I'm just too busy, and I just kind of ignore it. But the reality of it is, if God, see, right now as you're sitting here, if you're missing it in an area that, you, you might, all of us are probably missing it in multiple areas because we're still growing, right? 
But for all of us, I bet I could go down, if you were willing to be honest, you would know the one area that you need to make an adjustment. We just know. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, he's trying to help us. And Satan will try to beat us up about it. God's over there going, don't listen to him. Just come on. But it always comes down to this. Am I willing, am I willing to yield to what the word of God tells me to do? That's what it always boils down to. And I'm telling you, yielding to that, your flesh hates it. Your spirit will love it. And your life will never look the same. It's the road to Zoe life. You submitting your will to what the Bible says to do. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Matthew 26, verse 39. You could turn there or just look up at the screen. Talking about Jesus, and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. What? Jesus, you've known your whole life that you were on this earth to redeem mankind and you come to the end of this road and you're saying my will is not to drink this cup. But he, but he says this, but wait a minute, not as I will. My whole life is, right? What did he say earlier in his ministry? My meat is to do the will of my father. That means my nourishment, my strength is to do his will and finish his work. His whole life was focused on, I will yield myself. to. It's always about what he wants, not about what I want. And we're to walk like Jesus walked. Right? Verse 42 of the same chapter. And he went again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass from me, I love this. Verse 39, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then Jesus is kind of like, but not, not my will, but your will. And then he's listening. So many times when you're asking God for something, and it's not his will, he just doesn't say anything. Because then Jesus comes back again a second time saying, if this cup may not pass from me, which means the Father really didn't audibly say, hey, no, it's, it's, you got to drink this thing. Nope, he knew. Except I drink it, thy will be done. John 6, 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Do you know Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So this should be a life statement for us, right? I came down from heaven, right? Doesn't God light every spirit that comes into the world? I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but I came down here to do the will of my Lord Jesus Christ. That is the road to Zoe life. So yielding is you yielding yourself to what God has spoken to you. you got to yield yourself to that. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6 says this, 
For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. But what, what does avail? But faith, which works by love. Actually, in the Greek, it would read faith, which works by love. I think more accurately, it would read in the Greek, faith, which works through love. Right? God continually extends and expresses his love for us. Continually. All day, every day, he's wanting us to grow in our revelation of how much he loves us. This becomes the foundation of our faith and the basis by which we believe his promises. You must know that God loves you. And he will always be extending and expressing that because that's the basis of why we believe him. Now this verse is not saying that your faith won't work if you're not walking in love. Pastor, did you really just say that? It didn't say that your faith won't work or it didn't say that your faith won't work if you're not walking in love. Look at the many healings in Jesus' ministry that said nothing about the person's love walk. We love him because he first loved us. Our, our ability to walk in love is based on the revelation that we have that he loves us. It all works together. Now, there are things when you know that you're to walk in love and you see it and, and God, and, and you're choosing, no, I'm not forgiving that person. Can that hinder you from receiving from God? Absolutely can. So be careful with that. Faith works through the channel of God's love for you. You gotta know that. Because here's the thing. When you know that you are the apple of God's eye, that literally when you're sleeping, his eyes are upon you and he loves you. And when you get up in the morning, he's so excited to walk with you all that day. And he starts to think about all that he's placed in you and all that you and him are going to do together. Sometimes it says he rejoices over us with singing, even with dancing. That word means to twirl. He gets so excited. He loves you so much. That's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just exploding in him. Yielding to God is the key to receiving from God. Yielding to God. See, this is what happens to people. People get it figured out in their mind how it ought to be. And therefore, they won't yield to the truth of God's word. And they, they're unable to lay hold of things and they don't understand why. Does that make sense? Do you know how many people over the years that I've talked to that were just like, man, we are in financial trouble. Can you just please pray for us? It just seems like, man, just like year after year, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, and you're sitting there going, but you're refusing to do what the Bible says. 
You're not yielded. You can't lay hold of anything that's already yours. Do you see that? This is huge. This is why we must renew our minds to the word of God. If we don't, Satan will take advantage of yours and my ignorance. Right? Look at what it says, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Now we're coming down the road. I'm going to go a little longer because I want to finish this. Or at least get to a point. Hosea 4, 6 says this. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Destroyed. It's the Hebrew word dama. We're just going to focus on the first half of this verse. This word dama, silenced or destroyed, it means to be silenced, to be cut off so that you cannot take part of your covenant. If Satan can shut your mouth or if he could get you speaking death, you're cut off. You can't receive. Right? You're destroyed by a lack of knowledge. This word knowledge is the word derot. It literally means discernment. We call it revelation knowledge. It happens 91 times in the Old Testament. Isaiah 5.13 says this, Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. This means that captivity, they're exposed and taken into exile. Why? Because they have no knowledge, no derot. No revelation knowledge. The number one reason why people don't receive the blessings of God is because they don't yield their will to what the Bible says. You must know what the Bible says to yield to it. Right? Failing to yield to God, you got to know this, failing to yield to God does not mean you're rebellious. Now, you could be being rebellious, but just because you haven't yielded in an area doesn't mean you're rebellious, okay? It could just be a lack of revelation knowledge. This is why we teach the word around here, right? This is why it's so important that you hear the word of God. And here's another thing about yielding. Yielding to God is the same in every area. It's a principle. It works the same way in every area of your life. When you learn to yield to God in one area, it will open the door and help you and enable you to yield to God in other areas. So where do you start? You work out what God's working in. Whatever that area is, you will know what it is. Now, many times you'll act like you don't know because you really don't want to change right? I mean, I've been there. We've all been there. But if you'll just put him first, he will help you. And this is why I said at the beginning of the service, I love, I love as I pray for people in our church, how many people are going, man, you know, I want more. I want to please you. I want to walk with you. I want, I want, to, I want to do everything in this earth that you want me to do. I don't really know how. You don't forget, doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit, he, he will teach you what to do. Obedience also works the same way in every area. Really, yielding to God is simply obeying his word. If you're, now, here's a big thing about yielding. 
if you're resisting God in one area, it will be very hard to yield to him in another area. And this is what trips a lot of people up. God will want to work on this area of your life. If you're unwilling to yield to that, it's going to be real hard for you to yield to him in any other area. Okay? I know that might sound hard, but it is truth. It's just the way it is. Right? God is not a buffet. You don't walk down and say, oh, I like that prosperity thing and I like that peace thing. Ooh, really don't like that forgiveness thing because I got really hurt. Uh, right? Oh, here's that, oh, that trust thing. Uh, that here, honor. No, I don't want any of that. Right? He's not a buffet. Knowledge changes. Now, this is the key. Revelation knowledge of the word changes your thinking so that you can yield to what God's word says. This is the answer right here. Your answer is stop beating yourself up if you keep falling short. Your answer is get some scriptures and start meditating in them and let the Holy Spirit open up and bring some revelation knowledge to you which will change your thinking which enables you to yield to him. You see that? So very important. Think Now, I'm just going to read a couple scriptures just in closing for you to see this. So look at Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. They'll just put it up on the screen. We'll go pretty fast. So Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. These are instructions. Don't lean on your own understanding but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And then what will he do? If you'll do that, you're yielded to him. He will direct your paths. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your substance. That's offerings. Honor him. And with the first fruits of all your increase. The tithe. What will he do? So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. Here's our instruction. My son, attend to my word. Put my word first place in your life. Well, I'm not willing to. I'm too busy. Okay. All right. So the, the end of this where it says, man, his word is life to those that find it and health to all their flesh... Until you choose to yield to that, do you see that? There's so many things in the Bible. The whole Bible is him instructing us. Amen. Attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Give my word your undivided attention. Never let my word depart from your eyes. Keep it in the midst of your heart. Why? God's part, my word is life to those that find it, and it's health or medicine to all their flesh. Here's a big one. Isaiah 119. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Actually, in the Hebrew language, the best that the land can provide. Isn't that good news? Here's another big one. 
James 4, 7. You submit yourself to God. You resist the devil and he will flee. Why? Because, man, you're in the armor. God will see to it that he flees. The whole Bible is like that. Don't judge lest you be judged. Okay, I'm all in on that. If you won't forgive, I won't forgive you. Yikes, right? I mean, over and over and over. I'm here to tell you guys, God loves you so much. And when you talk about this subject of yielding, I'm here to tell you tonight that the God of heaven will meet you right where you are. I mean, you, some of you might be sitting here, you just are, are at your wit's end, or maybe online, you're mad at him, you don't understand. That's okay. You could try to fake it till you make it, but you can't fake him out. He sees your heart. Go to your father who loves you. And I, I just, just start feeding on his word. His word is full of life and it's active and effective and it will go into your unrenewed mind and pull out the doubts, pull out all that detrimental thought processes and all of a sudden the light that is in you will start filling your whole life and all of a sudden you'll see, wow, wait a minute, I see my way out of this now. God will teach you how to yield to him because the reality of it is you have to yield to him, to what his, you have to yield your will to his will. If you've been walking in pride, you might not even know. You might see a lot of people walk around going, oh, I'm great. It's because they've been living for themselves so long. They've been out of the word so long. They listen to so much TV. They feed themselves on the world so much that they're dull. Right? Lord, help me. Guess what? You have the ultimate helper in you right now. Do you guys, does this helping you a little bit? I, I'm about to burst into flames. The anointing is so strong on me right now. God's talking to me about my life. And I'm telling you, when the Lord will minister to you, it just breeds life, guys. All of a sudden you start to see, wow, God has a good future for me. He's my healer. He's my provider. I'm going to put him first. I'm going to yield my will to his will. Yeah, your flesh won't like it. But man, you'll love the result of it. And who cares what your flesh thinks? Your flesh is crazy anyway, right? <laughs>